The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Listening to the Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series Doctor Who, and today we're discussing Chapter Four of the Flux: Village of the Angels. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Very well, thanks. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, be sure to follow the Secrets of Doctor Who in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, your favorite podcast app, or at the SQPN YouTube channel, we should also make sure to hit the bell to get notifications. I want to encourage you to stick around to the end of the episode. We have some great listener feedback, and uh, we always love to get feedback from you. You can send your feedback to Who at sqpn.com. And before we get into discussion of today's episode, I want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest Network that you'll definitely want to uh, listen to. It's called The Secrets of Stargate, where we have uh, a panel, including Father Corey, discussing the excellent Stargate franchise in all its permutations, including new Stargate. And you'll have to listen to Secrets of Stargate to find out what that's about. You can find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Stargate. So, uh, Jimmy, can you give us a recap of The Village of the Damned? Spoilers ahoy, here we go. Last time on Doctor Who, a weeping angel appeared in the TARDIS and seized control of it. This time, the Doctor uses a vague technobabble means of getting rid of the angel, and the TARDIS pops out in 1967. Here we meet Claire, who we saw back in Episode 1 in 2021, who an angel has transported back to the 1960s. Claire is a precognitive who is being studied by Professor Jericho. She's also carrying a rogue weeping angel in her mind, and the Division has sent an extraction squad of weeping angels to get the rogue back. Everyone in the village disappeared in 1901 and 1967, and that's because the weeping angels extracted the village from space and time. Yaz, Dan, Professor Jericho, and a little girl named Peggy have been transported back to the 1901 part of the village, from which they talk to the doctor across a time barrier to 1967. The rogue angel tries to make a deal with the doctor, telling it it will give her its memories of her time with the division if she protects it from the division. But the angel then betrays her, offering to give the doctor to the division instead. The doctor is then recalled to the division, and she turns into a weeping angel, giving us our latest cliffhanger. Meanwhile, in the post-flux universe, Belle keeps searching for Vendor. She lands on a planet where Azure appears and captures a bunch of people using a passenger form. Bell then goes to help the captured people, but she leaves a message for Vendor, which he finds in a scene inserted in the middle of the closing credits. The end. How do you like that summary to make it clear what was happening in <laughs> yeah. this episode? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that's about as good a summary as I could expect. And sure, that was that's very brief. Let's let's dig in a little bit. I, I did. I call it the Village of the Damned, which is kind of an interesting idea. It's like instead of Village of the Damned, it's Village of the Angels. In, but who well, are damning? Yeah, I'm 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 sure that's where they that's what they were riffing on for the name Village mm-hmm. of the Damned. For people who may not be aware, Village of the Damned is a famous uh, movie. It's uh, there's actually been more more than one but the original was a black and white movie set in a british village um it's based on a book by 
John Wyndham uh, mm. called the Midwich Cuckoos. And mm. the idea is um, since cuckoos are brood parasites, what they do is they plant their young in other birds' nests. And then the cuckoo chicks kick the other birds out of the nests and hog all of the parental attention and food for themselves. Um so um, so in the Midwich Cuckoos and in the original Village of the Damned, there are these aliens who we never see who put everyone in villages across the earth, very, certain villages, to sleep. And when the, everybody wakes up, the women are all pregnant. And so this is an alien brood parasite program where you have these alien children who who look human mostly, except they're all blonde and have blue eyes and mm. teleca- and telepathic powers. Yes. Um, and so it's an interesting, inf- It's the movie is very well done. I, I really enjoy it. And I immediately thought of it when I saw, oh, Village of the Angels, they're riffing on Village of the Damned, as right. well as other Village of These we've seen throughout history. I kind of want to jump right into the a big question as before uh-huh. we jump into the elements of the episode, which is, and this will come up actually in our uh, in our feedback later too. Are the weeping angels being watered down after so much use? Well, this is this is a perennial question, and I think the general fan consensus has been, yeah, they've been watered down over time. But what I've seen is uh, people. Um, liking this episode because mm-hmm. it uses the angels in a more effective way. We haven't really had an angel an angel centric story since Angels Take Manhattan mm-hmm. right. and that's frequently considered the nadir of the angel storytelling on the yeah. show except for where they just appear briefly. Um but as an angel centric episode that's often considered the worst. Not really because of <laughs> most of the episode. Because most of the episode is fine. Yeah. The angels in that are scary and the, it's it's Rory and Amy's departure. And that's a that's a sad, tragic thing that's very effective. The reason people hate angels take Manhattan is because of the Statue of Liberty. Yeah. Right. That's that's ridiculous. Exactly. It makes no sense. It was Stephen Moffat just wanting a spectacle. And if they had cut that out. Mm-hmm. then um, the story would have would not be as poorly remembered as it is. This I found interesting yeah. uh, in that Chibnall explores existing angel um, lore and mm-hmm. adds to it a little bit. Um, it, it actually, I mean, I was thinking in terms of how the angels function. Right. Um, I mean, Moffat had already established if something, which is, I think, ridiculous, but Moffat had established that if anything that has an image of an angel is an angel. And here they walk that back a little bit, could become an angel mm-hmm. if the angels want to. Right. But it requires effort. Like, yes, they can come out of the TV screen like happened with Amy. Mm-hmm. But it requires a lot of effort for them to do that. And so that helps, actually, I think, explain some of the inconsistencies about, um, well, then why doesn't your retina become an angel every time you look at one? Yeah. Well, because it's not that easy. And right. so I actually think he improves some of the angel lore. And then, of course, he also has a rogue angel, which is nice. Mm-hmm. So they're not all in lockstep. And he also has them working for the division, which is an interesting development. And so mm-hmm. I think he actually improves the angel lore here. 
One one thing I, th- I wonder if he implied at, with the end scene with the doctor changing into the angel is that the angels were actually a creation from the division, that they aren't a naturally occurring being, but that they were something that were created as their hunters or however you want to put it. And I, I mean, I, I, again, I don't know if that's just something that I, I read into it mm. or if that's something that they're they're trying to use this as an origin story in a way for the angels as well. Because they always just been they've really never explained yet where they came from. Just they were they they're there. Yeah, they could go that direction. I don't know that they will. Um, I'd be a little happier if they don't give us an origin story for the angels. Right. I think they're more mysterious if we don't know where they came from or if they just say they're from the dark times or they're from another universe or mm-hmm. something. Um, but they they could go that way. I'm not convinced that the doctor actually is an angel. Um, it, they may have just put her in that form because when that happens, she's just been recalled to the division right. and she's being transported by angels. So maybe to use a term borrowed from uh, biblical and patristic uh, scholarship, they they give her an angelomorphic form <laughs> for purposes of transformation for of transportation to the division. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, we're we're expanding what we know of the division greatly. I mean, for, when we first heard about the division last season, it was you know I think it was implied the division is is a group of Gallifrey Time Lord secret agents of some sort. Yeah, essentially, essentially another version of the of the Celestial Intelligence Agency, which yeah. is a Time Lord thing we already have heard of uh, Mm -hmm. back to Tom Baker's day. But um, the CIA apparently consisted only of Time Lords and the division is much broader than that, it turns out. It's almost like to bring in a Star Trek term, Section 31, like an even deeper, secreter sort of thing that is being Mm -hmm. revealed. And they tell us that the division isn't just Time Lords, it's every species, every time, everywhere, at any point in space and time. and it's something that wasn't in the past before the William Hartnell doctor, but is something that is still currently active. Right. The doctor just didn't know about it or run into it. Right. Which, yeah. yeah. Also, before we get into this episode, we might want to talk about the fact that this is the only episode this season that is not exclusively by Chris Chibnall. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a co-author for this episode who was Maxine Alderton, and she previously wrote last season, The Haunting of the Via Diodati, which is the oh, sure. Mary Shelley, Lord, um, mm-hmm. uh, what's Byron. his name, Ep- Byron episode, mm-hmm. and where we got the introduction of the lone Cyberman. Mm-hmm. And that was an effective horror episode set in a small historical setting. And so this is a horror episode set in a small historical setting. So he brought back Maxine Alderton because she did a good job with that one. Yeah. And I think it's fairly easy to spot the parts of this story that are written by her. I think it's everything in the village. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Chibnall gave her a general idea of what he needs to have happen in this village. And then he let her write that. And then he wrote the off planet stuff with Bell and Vendor, mm-hmm. who she mm-hmm. wouldn't have known as much about. And so he just wrote that himself and then right. did a, a script polish like every every producer gets to do. Um, right. So his fingerprints will be on the village stuff. But I think she was the primary author of the village things. Mm. 
Speaking of Mary Shelley, by the way, that's a, a funny thing. Uh, just speaking of, uh, speaking of which, uh, someone attributed the Jules Verne as the father of science fiction, and someone said Mary Shelley did not spend a, a night <laughs> in an Italian manner with Lord Byron for you to to dismiss her as <laughs> as the mother of science fiction. <laughs> So I just thought that was good. Um, all right, so well, let's talk. Okay. She can she can be the mother of science fiction, um, <laughs> but uh, but you know, um, Lu- Lucian of Samosata did not envision flying to the moon and the That's sun right. uh, almost two thousand years ago to be dismissed in favor of Mary, Mary Shelley or Jules. Yeah. Verne. That's right. That's or right. Jules Verne. <laughs> so um, let's talk about this episode. So as we mentioned, it's. It's interesting. It's um a day and date sent uh uh parallel, like just mm-hmm. like ha- mm-hmm. the Halloween apocalypse aired on Halloween and took place on Halloween. Uh, this episode aired on November twenty first and took place on November twenty first. So they were anticipating. Yep. That was uh, nice. Yeah, and yep. which in, in, implies that they knew long before when this when this would air. So why won't you tell us these things, BBC? That's just my personal problem why, why they wait the last minute to tell us when the season is going to be that's a that's a podcaster problem i i think i think that's chibnall's decision so Just, um yeah you know russell t davies and stephen moffat didn't have that during their showrunner time so i suspect once russell davies comes back we may have more notice of seasons we appreciate that <laughs> yes so uh so we have claire and so she's we find out that she's been transported we saw her getting sent by an angel back in time this rogue angel back in time to 1967. We saw that in the Halloween apocalypse episode and she's been here for several years. She's being tested by this Dr. Uh, Jericho, professor Jericho uh, played by um, uh, Hugo Lang, who was in the twin dilemma, a sixth doctor story, which we've talked mm. about, which is a terrible uh, story, <laughs> but he also, you might recognize him also from things like pirates of the Caribbean and some other stuff. He's, he's been around. I, I rec- like I saw him like, Oh, that's, I've seen that guy. Uh, mm-hmm. In any case that he's doing psychic research on her for, for her problem. And I want to give him props again for, I guess, Mary or um, Mary, Maxine. was it Mark? Maxine Alderton mm-hmm. um, for her realism in that, because she I mean, they they were in this period using polygraphs um, to try to measure and, you know, early in EEGs and stuff on psychics. They were starting to do that. Um, but she also has a line where um, Professor Jericho is complaining to the doctor about how she's interfering in the experiment. And he says, you're you're uh, disrupting my percipient. And yes, mm. that term is used in uh, in in parapsychological research. A percipient is a person who perceives something. Mm. And so it's a neutral term that you can use. Like if someone reports seeing a ghost, well, they say they perceived it. So they're a percipient. But you're not signing off on the fact that that's what they actually saw. Mm-hmm. And so you encounter these neutral terms in parapsychological research, like percipient and experient, a person who experiences something. And so like in my classes at the Ryan Institute on investigating, you know, a spontaneous paranormal phenomena, um, we'll be talking about percipients and experience and things like that. So I thought that was a nice note of realism. Yes. Well, one, one thing, Dom, uh, you mentioned when talking about Claire being sent back that the rogue angel did it. I Maybe I misheard, but I thought it said later in the episode that it wasn't the rogue angel that sent her back, but it was an angel that was going for the rogue angel. Right. It was one of Correct. these angels that were, were going okay. to yeah. get yep. 
So they sent her back so that they could get the rogue angel. Yes, yeah, the, the rogue angel is in her mind. It was and, already in her mind. It was another happened. angel hunting the rogue angel that sent her back. The um, and we also get uh, a moment where she explains to the doctor what happened in the meeting of um, in episode one, and it is timey wimey, but not timey wimey in a river song way. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. turns out the rogue angel had prior to episode one had given her a vision of the doctor and the TARDIS and the village and taken up residence in her mind without her knowing it. And so when she met the doctor and Yaz, she remembered them not from a previous physical meeting, but from the vision. Right. And, and then the angel zaps her back to 1965 and she's been living in the sixties for two years. Right. Okay. That's right. That's right. Um, also, I want to correct something else I said. I said uh, the Professor Jericho was played by Hugo Lang. It's pretty, Kevin McNally. I think Hugo Lang was a role he uh, in the Sixth Doctor story, but he, it's uh, Kevin McNally. Okay. So I also want to fix that. Fix all my mistakes first. Um, <laughs> so that yeah, and then we have also the people searching for this little girl, Peggy. This ten-year-old girl is missing. Um, we have this vicar uh, walking around. Let's get this note that. It's you know a warning to leave, and he confronts Mrs. Haywood, who has been leaving these notes. Who tells him, "Look, there's you know count the number of uh, gravestones in the in the the uh, parish cemetery. There's too many." This is and this was unsuccessful. Yeah, there's too many by one. Yeah, and I thought this was unsuccessful writing. The vicar is only there to to introduce us to Mrs. Hayward. Mm-hmm. Um, we we're never told what the notes say, we, and they. Uh, I mean, we did see some kind of warning. Yeah, no, right. we did see he opened it up. There was an early scene where he opens it up and it says, oh, you know, "Get out right. of town." Le- yeah, leave now. Yeah. yeah. Um. And and okay, I, that went by too fast, so yeah. I'd still judge it as unsuccessful because yep. we don't have. We it, I, I, it needs to be clear that she's leaving notes telling everyone in town to leave now. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the um, uh, they don't um, the extra gravestone. They don't they don't pay off the extra gravestone. What's that all about? And well, so he, it's I the mean, weeping he, angel. He, well, it's it is not clear what's happening with the. I mean, the, an angel is not a grave marker. Right. And so um, so we and why would she point him towards an angel anyway if she's telling people to get out of town? That part was weird. So so I thought this didn't make a lot of sense the way it was explained to the audience. It is atmospheric. It's fine. It's fine Mm -hmm. to have the village vicar in a 1960s village horror piece. I mean, you would expect that. Right. Um, So that was all fine. Uh, We also get a couple, an older couple named Gerald and Jean. Mm-hmm. Who were searching for the little girl who we who we never see in 1967, um, and they I I did I did not think they were successful either. They I didn't even mention them in the uh, summary because they are irrelevant to the mm-hmm. overall flow of the episode. Yeah, they are they are the red shirts in this episode. Um, Their job is to give us a little bit of exposition and then get transported back to 1901 where they die because of their own foolishness. Um, Because what happens with them is they encounter an angel in 1967 and they think it's a statue. And Gerald, who is a very unsympathetic character, Mm -hmm. um, decides to try to carry the, the very heavy 
angel statue back to the churchyard and he grabs it and that vanishes him back to 1901. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was interesting. Normally we see the angels touching people and making an effort to do that. This is the first time we've seen some, well, I guess maybe, maybe Amy did it. I'd have to go back and watch, but normally we see the angels acting to touch people to get them to go back. We don't see people touching an angel Mm. Yeah. And going back. So this is yeah. but, you know, you could see how it would work like that. And I'd have more questions about that. But then once they're back in 1901, um, they along with Yaz and Dan, Yaz and Dan have found the 10 year old little girl, Peggy, and she tells them that nobody survives being touched by an angel twice. Mm-hmm. And so when uh, Gerald and Jean show up in 1901, they start walking towards Peggy and there's an angel in the way and everybody is yelling at them not to not to walk in front of the angel to stay on the other side of it because it'll block our view of the angel. And they don't think anything of this. And they once again touch the angel to get past it and disintegrate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was that new? The, yes, you that's, can't get yes. touched twice. Okay. Yeah, I, I meant to mention that. That's another aspect of angel lore that um, that Chibnall has expanded, and I'm not sure. I mean, I uh, part of me likes that, but part of me doesn't because why would you disintegrate upon second touching? And if the doctor ever gets touched, which the doctor has mm-hmm. back in because David Tennant and uh, got knocked mm-hmm. back to the 1960s in Blink. Yep. Yep. Um, then could the doctor ever be touched again? How does this work? So they, you know, of course they explain and they state in this episode that it's it, what the angels feed on is the potential life energy that is lost by going back in time living their life back then instead of your life being lived now going forward, that energy, that's how they, they explain it. The quantum yeah. life energy, whatever. And that's so not, that's that nonsense, if, but yeah, we it's can nonsense, go with it. but mm-hmm. the, the idea of a weeping angel is nonsense. If you want to go that far, <laughs> but, um, but so it makes sense then that there, you don't have that potential life energy anymore for the second time you get touched. It's been, mm-hmm. especially when you just got zapped back five minutes ago. Right. You know, as this couple did, you know, relatively speaking um, with the doctor, you, you could argue that he's got so much potential quantum life energy that even if he gets zapped three, four times, it's not going to matter depending on how far back yeah, they send them. But, 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 but that's a question. I mean, let's suppose I get touched by an angel and the angel sends me back one year. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not, I'm, 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 I'm older than I used to be, but I'm young enough that I should statistically have more than one year of life right. left. So if an angel sends me back one year and immediately touches me again, if it's just the potential life energy, that's the issue, um, I should be able to survive that just fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course, this was yeah. 67, 66 years. So. Um, yeah. How do yeah. they decide how, you know, I did, that's the sort of the weird things. And also everyone who is in the village living in the village in 1901 disappeared. And yeah, they, they did, don't, don't th- explain that. Yeah. Other so than the angels somehow did it. Yeah. And they went further back, maybe. I don't know. And then everyone. So then you have this cursed village. I'm just trying to imagine this in 1901. How long did it take for people to move back into these empty houses <laughs> to, yeah. for them to be like to be a full you know functioning village there in 1967? Well, well, and then after the 60s, it said the government took it over. Yeah. The military took it over and locked it off. So unit, unit moved in. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say unit. Um, all right. So let's get back to, to Claire. 
Um, she's got this experience of uh, she has a seizure. She starts speaking in a strange voice, almost like a like we imagine someone being possessed. It's the the angel insider says the angel has the TARDIS. Um, oh, I, by the way, by the way, mm-hmm. before I forget regarding Claire, they did something interesting in the opening scene with her because the Professor Jericho has her hooked up to a polygraph, a mm-hmm. lie detector, and he's mm-hmm. asking her questions. And one of the things now we did an episode of Mysterious World on lie detectors yep. and how they're not reliable at all and very easy to beat. Um, but part of standard lie detector protocol is asking control questions where you know the answer and the person is expected to be truthful. And that allows you to establish a baseline for what the readings look like when a per- when the person is being truthful. And so Professor Jericho is asking Claire some control questions, but they involve time. And so like when he asks her, when were you born? She at first blurts out the correct answer, which is May 13th, 1985, which is in the future. Yep. Mm-hmm. And he says, what? And she says, oh, I meant 1935. Yeah. And so <laughs> she would be, you know, 32 years old at this point. And he, he then asked her the question again, you know, what's your birthday? She says, May 13th, 1935. And the readings indicate she's lying. And right. I liked how they did with more than one control question. Um, she She's telling that she, when, when she tells what should be the truth, it shows she's lying because she's a time traveler. Right. And I thought that was I thought that was nicely done. She doesn't believe that it is 1960 or that it should be 1967. Yeah. Yep. Even even though lie detectors are yeah. trash. <laughs> so, as uh, you mentioned, the, uh, the the doctor short circuits the TARDIS to eject the angel that had taken it over, which it turns out it was probably taking her. It, it actually accomplished what it wanted to, which is to take him to this village in 1967. The doctor gets that weird, a weird reading on her uh, sonic and f- follows it to Professor Jericho's house. And she shows the psychic paper to Professor Jericho that says she's from the Institute for Psychic Research. I know. Why didn't they use the real name? Because <laughs> there is a I mean, it should have been the Society for Psychical Research. This is the most famous British investigative paranormal group. It was started back in the late 1900s. It was very prestigious. Uh, it had loads of scientists, including Nobel winners who were part of it. It inspired an American counterpart known as the American Society for Psychical Research, which also had very prestigious scientists involved like William James. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it they made it some sound like some government ministry, which doesn't exist, but they should have just used the British Society for Psychical Research. It would have been yeah. awesome. I, te- <laughs> I teed that one up for you, Jimmy, because so, I Thank knew that you. would. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was the thing you'd want to say. So uh, I have to say, I really like Professor Jericho. He has been mm-hmm. he was like he doesn't come across as just. In fact, he reminds me a lot of the the the, the psychic researcher we just talked about. Uh, a few weeks ago on our podcast uh, from the third, uh, the 11th doctor's time um, where they had gone back to a previous era. It was again, in fact, elements that are similar to this one. Uh, I don't remember off the top of my head. I should have looked it up, um, but you know, he was a war veteran. The, mm-hmm. He's not easily scared by, you know, he, phenomena. He helped, he helped liberate a concentration camp. Yeah. Right. Right. And uh, and it, I mean, it's just he comes across as really cool under pressure, 
smart. He's not a big dummy. I mean, he's he's dealing with something he's unfamiliar with, so he makes mistakes at times. But he's not not afraid of the angels and uh, stands up to them in, several times. Uh, so that was pretty cool. So I, I I did like I do like the Professor Jericho. Mm-hmm. Even when they go into his subconscious and find his personal insecurities and throw them in his face, it's like, I don't care. I'm not giving up. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, that Yeah. That was really awesome. Um, then there is a, a moment where the doctor has a, a piece of paper where Claire has drawn an angel on it and, you know, from her her vision and she tears it up and throws it in the uh, the fireplace, but doesn't burn it right away. Mm-hmm. And then it reforms itself into an in a picture so that an angel can start forming from it. So then she crumples it up and then lights it on fire. And then we get a fire weeping angel, which is really Yeah, that was wild. cool. That was very effective. <laughs> By the way, Dom, the episode you were thinking of was Hyde. Oh, right, right, right. Hyde. Yes. And that had a lot of the similar themes. Um, you had Professor, Professor Alex Palmer, the same as the professor in this. Mm-hmm. You had Emma Grayling, very similar to Claire in this. Yep. And then you had the uh, quantum lock where the there was this the chunk of the, the or the, uh, the village was cut off and was right. slowly crumbling away. Well, they had the alternate universe that was slowly crumbling away. So there's a lot of similarities between these two episodes. As Wait, are, 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 you, are you noting that a Doctor Who episode has a weird timey phenomenon going on in it? Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot well, of similarities. Well, a very similar t- timey phenomenon, which is that, yeah, like you said, the the the. Uh, the, the the pocket universe that's uh, getting smaller. Actually, that's yeah. kind of interesting that they went there. I, I liked the um, at one point you mentioned the angel that Claire had drawn as a result of her precognitions. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. At, later on, after the doctor destroys that one, they don't really pay this off. But it's a nice, effective moment in the story mm-hmm. where um, the angels have have the doctor has put a couple of EEG head pieces oh, yeah. on a on a couple of angels that that are that can't move and um yeah. and the now that they have the EEG head pieces on them they use the polygraph to very quickly draw a new image of an angel yes yep. yes that was pretty wild Af- after she reverses the polarity of the neutron flow yes, yes. give them a, a quantum headache yes there's a couple <laughs> of uh, uh homages she also another point says when i say run run which is a classic doctor uh, phrase um one one thing i liked in this scene so the they comment on what they're doing in this house that's being so we have a base under siege model where they're Mm -hmm. in this house it's being besieged by angels the doctor even talks about it being besieged using that word by Mm -hmm. angels yep and um and 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 she explains um that why they're doing this. She says, you know, why don't we just run from the house? Well, it's because there's way more of them than there are of us. At least here we have an enclosed position we could conceivably defend. Mm-hmm. And so they 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 progressively have to fall back in the house as the angels advance to the basement. And then Professor Jericho is like, I'm reconsidering this idea that we should have hmm. took taken our stand in a space with so few exits. Yeah. And the yeah. doctor then notices something because because the doctor is frequently aware of everything in her surroundings, which mm-hmm. they played with with Matt Smith a few times visually. They'd replay things he saw that the audience missed. Yep. 
Um, and it indicated he had this like global awareness of everything in his environment. And they don't do that here, but they kind of touch on that idea where the doctor says, don't you even read your own floor plans? Because there are floor plans of the house hanging on the wall in the basement. And there is an assignation tunnel. And she mm-hmm. explains that whoever built this house was a bit of a scoundrel, but we can use this <laughs> to our advantage. And for people who may not be familiar, an assignation is a old fashioned way of saying a hookup. <laughs> and, 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 yeah. And so, <laughs> and so uh, if you're meeting someone for an assignation, that was a euphemism for having a hookup. Um, and, and so whoever built this house has a tunnel out of the basement. They could, it's behind a wall now, a wooden wall, which the doctor smashes, but had a tunnel built to get out of the house to go have assignations. (laughs) So one of the things that, uh, that we see is, uh, Claire, because she's got this rogue angel in her head, she sees like she, at one point she sees herself in a bathroom mirror with wings, you know, mm-hmm, angel, mm-hmm. the stone angel wings. Uh, she has the stone dust coming out of her eye, just like Amy did in, in that episode. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, then she starts to have her hands becoming stone and then then reversing, which is interesting. And I, I felt like that was all the rogue angel trying to get the doctor to notice and do the telepathy. Like because mm-hmm. she wanted mm-hmm. to communicate with the doctor, and that's so yep. the doctor engages in this telepathy moment, and we get we get this very interesting effect of the weeping angel standing behind Claire with her hand on her shoulder, and Claire being a, a mouthpiece in the yep. telepathic contact. Uh, also, notice the doctor asked her permission to go into her mind to look for the angel, and it's like, wait, yep. when does the doctor, and especially this doctor? ever ask for permission to violate someone's mental sanctity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a new one. Um, so and what, she, what the, the, the rogue tells her is, like we mentioned in, before, is she's a, a rogue angel, which the doctor doesn't really believe her, uh, then that she's part of the division, and that uh, the angels that are coming are an extraction squad, which is new, and uh, and that she has knowledge oh, based on actual covert operations in the real world you do have yeah. extraction squads that are sent to go mm-hmm. get someone yes and that's true extract them from their current environment and bring them yep. back right right uh and the the rogue tells the doctor she has knowledge about the division including the doctor's stolen memories and this is how she's trying to get the doctor to to help her to make a deal with her is because yeah, the doctor is jonesing for those memories right yep uh, the doctor refuses, although they get interrupted because Professor Jericho throws a teacup at the doctor's head to get her to realize that the uh, weeping angels are in the basement <laughs> and they need to get out. And then when they go down this assignation tunnel and then you have this wild effect of the angels reaching out through the rock. They're coming through the walls mm-hmm. of this tunnel. It was really creepy because mm-hmm. it, it turns out that this whole dig is actually an angel i guess you could call it spaceship yeah some transportation rock i guess yeah it's made up of angel basically yeah yeah and they haven't fully explained that but they've hinted that there's this stone structure in the village that i guess the house is abuts um yep. and it's it it's it it's some 
how connected to the angels and Mrs. Hawthorne speculates it's how they got here. Yep. Right. And uh, yeah, and it, we, cause if you think about it, if the angels are stone, then they are part of the stone. And that might be why they need to turn the doctor to stone to transport her, like we mentioned yep, before. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the doctor kind of it has to race by this angel standing in her path and she's expected to be touched at any, at any moment. But the angel doesn't move. And we, the whole thing is, as we get to this point, why do they take it out of the, the village out of space and time? Why, are they, you know, in this space, why are they doing this? Because they're being deliberately cruel. They're toying with the people mm-hmm. to, you know, like like a cat with mice. That's essentially. And as Mrs. Hawthorne explains, based on her telepathic communications with angels, they like to leave survivors to tell the terrifying story to bolster their rap. Right, right. And by the way, we we should, you know, uh, close that circle. Mrs. Hayward turns out to be a grown up Peggy. Peggy, who is sent the 10 year old sent back to 1901, uh, never got back. And so she's she grew up there. She did the long way around. Yeah. Yeah. Now she's 76 year old Mrs. Hayworth. Yeah. Uh, or Hayward. And and how, how did did either of y'all call that ahead? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not, well, not from yeah. the beginning, but before they revealed it, I'm like, as at least when they got to the, that barrier between the, the two uh, eras, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's yeah. the same person. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, when, once we realized that Peggy had been zapped back and, you know, it's yeah. like, OK, there's in, the, Ms. Hayward knows what's going on. Yeah, there, there's something there. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, which is, again, something we saw with Blink and in other other places. We saw similar things like that. Um, and then, so we didn't mention Yaz and Dan very much here, but they, they, they don't on, do a lot. They just wander around. Early on, they encounter the uh, angel and get zapped back. And Dan is like clueless about the angels. And uh, probably, Yaz probably is too, I guess. But, you know, Dan is like, I don't know what's going on. And they're back in 1901. They're, they're trying to figure out what's going on. They're wandering around. And uh, and apparently, based on the previews for next week, they're stuck there for some time. Three uh, years. Yeah. And, uh, and that's about it for them in this. I mean, there's not much. Is there anything else that's left to say? Like you said, they don't really do much otherwise. No, they interact, with, they interact with Gerald and Jean. And I, I, uh, I really did not like the Gerald character at all. No. Yeah. I mean, and and he's meant to be unsympathetic. And that's not what I dislike. I dislike how ham fistedly he's written Mm -hmm. because he is just thoroughly nasty and Mm -hmm. in a in a ridiculous over the top way. Yeah. And and he happens to fit a certain demographic that it is. If you if you're looking, if you have a, a character that is unsympathetic. And that is written to be unsympathetically to be unsympathetic. It that character is going to fit certain demographic characteristics more than likely, and he does. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, so I just thought it was it was bad stereotypical writing. Yeah, and yet another yeah. parental figure who is unsympathetic and bad and mean and you know. Just, yeah, that's that's the thing too. Is so he's the they're the great aunt and uncle of Peggy, right? Who's mm-hmm. an orphan, and yeah. and they and he is just. A complete jerk, jerk. Southbound <laughs> end of a northbound horse. Let's put it that way. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. You yes. know, I mean, he he and he and he has no redeeming value whatsoever. There, there's no point where, you know, and and his wife 
Gene even calls him on it and says, well, no wonder she runs away. You know, you're always mean to her. And he, he's just like, yeah, whatever. It, it, well, his response is even worse. He says, he says, who do you think you are to talk to me like that? Yeah. To his or what do you think gives you the right to talk to me like that? Yeah. Which is, I mean, OK, how did this marriage survive this long? Yeah. Yeah. Um, 46 and then, years and, we and, find and out. And she says, well, 46 years of pain gives right. me the right to say that mm-hmm. to you. And it's like, OK, this is just unbelievable. If if this is I mean, they had divorce laws in England in the 20th century. They mm-hmm. had they had spousal cruelty laws. If she's really had 46 years of pain, 47 years of pain, th- they would not be together right now. Right. Not with his attitude, not with hers attitude. And this will not be the first time she's speaking up. He's right. already if she's this outspoken, she would have spoken up long before now and he'd be used to it. And it's unbelievable. Right. Meaning yep. in the literal sense, it is not believable that they are having this interaction for the first time here in front of us in this situation. Right. It is bad yeah. writing. It is bad. That's probably the yep. the worst part of the episode is is Gerald and Jean. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's talk about the other pl- B plot for this episode, the Bell story, which is appropriately a B plot. Uh, and she is just as a reminder, carrying Vinder's child. They're newly married. Uh, they apparently had uh, their. We were told in the in the voiceover that. They were to go on their honeymoon to this place, Pisano, for 20 rotations, probably 20 days, uh, but only got one night when they were called up. And that's the night that she got pregnant and they were separated. And uh, so she's gone to Pisano, apparently looking for him. It's one of the few livable places left in the quadrant, whatever mm-hmm. that means. Um, <laughs> a lot of this stuff is kind of vague. The the the, uh, well, the descriptions. They give us enough. I mean, this yeah. is one of the few places a survivor could go. And so she goes there to look for him. Right. Yep. People are gathering there. And she encounters this guy. Uh, I forget his name. Namaka. Namaka. And, yeah. And he tells her that there's something called the coalescence where this woman appears and takes them away to someplace safe, which, again, reminds me of the end of last season uh, with the lone Cyberman and the, the the place that was taking people away to someplace safe. I kind of had that again. It's an echo of something from recently before Um, he calls it the coalescence. And he means that's the gathering of people. Right. Oh, the gathering people is the coalescence. And then the the rescue is the is was what she does. Um, I get that. Yeah. And uh, not everyone gets to go every time for some reason. Um, And so it turns out it's Azure showing up with uh, a passenger form, like you mentioned, and uh, Bell recognizes the passenger form. She recognizes that it's not a transport, it's a prison and try and gets Namaka away to uh, despite his best efforts to 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 get taken and uh, rescues him although he's not grateful about that until apparently much later. So I thought that was interesting. Um and why I, the question I came up with though is why is as you're trapping the people in passenger? Like what what's yeah. the What's the goal here? We, do we know? Well, the, previously they used people trapped in passenger forms as leverage, uh-huh. as hostages. So I would assume that they're doing the same thing now. But how that, what they're you, what, what conflict they're using them as hostages in remains to be seen, or right. planning to use them as hostages right. in. Okay. Okay. So, and then um, the other, the next time we see, um, 
you know, after all that takes place, the next time we see anything related to Bell and Vinder, we get this false credits, a mid credit scene. So we the credits begin. We have this weird version of the theme, the Doctor Who theme song mm-hmm. that's playing. And, you know, I'm looking at what's wrong with my file, you know, the, the, the one I'm watching. <laughs> uh, something wrong with my TV. I didn't but, notice no. anything wrong. I'm used to the BBC person coming in and talking at that point. So. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. right. And then you get this distortion and then it flips to again this scene on Pisano, Namaka, and this time Vinder shows up and he's looking for Bell and she's left him a message saying she went to save the people from passenger. Her she's got her uh uh IFF, her her beacon from her ship mm-hmm. that he can follow. Uh but before she can give him uh coordinates, of course conveniently that it cuts out. And then we get the rest of the credits with the normal sounding theme song. What why do you think they they did it this way? What were they? I, I was curious. Like I'm trying to think of what are the what is the story that they're trying to tell by hiding this bit of this of this plot in the credits. Father, do you want to go first? Well, you know, my, of course, my immediate thought is the whole issue of the flux, where all of time and space is is in turmoil, is in war, okay. and that's the only that was the only kind of initial thought. Because yeah, I, I, excuse me, I noticed. Excuse me, I noticed the. Uh, distortion to the 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 closing credits yeah. music right away and it's just like there's something you know something going on here and then yeah then that broke in and i'm just wondering if that's kind of what they're doing and there's i mean there could also be just a simple explanation of let's be kind of you know cool and you know marvel does the inter yeah. credits scenes and so we got to do the inter credits scenes i mean it could be as simple as that. Okay. Yeah, I I agree. I think that the um that this is so there this operates on a couple of levels. One level is the um is the level of how do I want to put it um of of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And on this level they are uh so by having the distortion of the theme that suggests distorted communications which is something that we have you know happening in the post flux universe communication is difficult and so i think they're kind of bringing in that idea made it textually as a here is a communication to the audience that was difficult to get through or something and they're deliberately doing the marvel style mid credit post credit thing just to be cool because they know Marvel movies are popular and people like Easter eggs, so they're giving mm-hmm. us one. Mm-hmm. And true. I don't think there's much more significance than that because the credits are non-diegetic in the Doctor Who universe. The credits do not exist in the universe in Doctor Who. So there's not going to be more of a significance to it than that. It's not like the fact it appeared in the credits plays a plot function. Um, So that brings us to the second level, which is the writing level. And the writing level is, uh, is on the writing level. They needed to give us more development of what's happening with uh, Azure and Bell and Vendor in this episode to keep those plot threads alive. So they wouldn't just vanish because they're Mm going to need to pay them off. We've got two episodes left. Mm-hmm. And they can't, or at least from a writing perspective, they should not attempt to resolve everything in episode six. Because if you do that, then you don't have any time for your resolutions to breathe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they need to breathe in order to have emotional impact. You need to let them sit a little bit. Um, it's It's very rare that you can just 
resolve something and immediately go to credits without right. having it it robbed of its impact. There mm-hmm. are a few examples like the movie Birdie, um, which pulls it off, where you have a sudden last second twist that actually works well going yeah. immediately to credits. Um, but that's a rare thing. And they've set up so many different plot threads in this. They need to have time to pay them off sequentially. And that mm-hmm. means they need to resolve some of them or start resolving them in episode five, which is next week. And that means we need continuing development of these threads in episode four, even though it's the background plot. Mm, So they gave us the bell Azure passenger stuff in the main episode, but then we'll wait. What about vendor? Well, let's just do a little short scene with him that we can throw in as an Easter egg. Mm, Right. right. Now, what I found interesting is that um, they mention in the opening preview which is a flashback you know it's the the recap mm-hmm. of last week they men- they have bell mentioning she's pregnant yeah and they don't talk about the baby in the episode and in the message that bell leaves for vendor she doesn't mention it so he knows about the baby already and yeah. i like mm-hmm. the fact they're married even though they to use the word life partner, they're married. Okay. That yeah. yep. life partner is just what they call your spouse on in this alien culture. Right. Um, so that was nice, but they don't mention the baby at all. And so the baby is definitely, that means they're using the recap to remind us of the baby. So we don't forget it when it gets right. paid off in episode five or six. Yeah. Right. And so the baby's definitely going to be paid off. Um, which we could have predicted from last episode anyway, but it's, the baby is definitely going to be paid off. And, and and as I mentioned last time, there's a fan theory that the baby may be the doctor. Mm-hmm. A new thought occurred to me that could support that. Now, I'm not saying it is the doctor. I may be, that may just be erroneous fan speculation. Most th- fan theories are false. Yeah. But... But in this case, here's an additional piece of information that occurred to me. So the doctor is the timeless child. And we've already we've always understood that in terms of the doctor is really old, much Mm -hmm. older than we thought and timeless Mm -hmm. in that sense. But maybe timeless means something else, because here we have this conflict between the what what the original old pre-regeneration uh, swarm refers to as the foundational conflict between space and time, mm-hmm. and the flux is a spatial manifestation, and swarm and azure are a temporal virus or something like that, and so we have this conflict between space and time. What if that? plays a role in how the doctor is timeless because we've been having manipulations of time and taking time, disrupting the flow of time and versus space and stuff. Maybe, maybe there's something buried there about the foundational conflict between space and time. And the doctor is timeless in some other sense. Mm. Right. Interesting. Now, one thing I want to tie into, Jimmy, though, about your talk about the, the plot threads. Uh-huh. And yes, that was a purpose pun. Um, 
we do know that the specials do connect to this season in some way. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't know exactly what that's going to look like. So it is very likely that some of these threads that we are doing now, maybe the Bell Vinder storyline sure. is one of them, will continue into one or more of the specials. And, and- so... It, it's possible that's a, that's a storyline, that's a plot thread that's going to continue. And there might be a couple other, I'm sure there are a couple other of the storylines we're seeing now that will go on into the special as well. Yeah, I would, I would agree. Um, I, I, and it, I can't predict which elements they'll pay off other right. than Swarm. Swarm and, and, um, and, and Azure have to be paid off. By episode yeah. six, yeah, but some agreed. of these some of these other things could continue and are likely to continue. I don't think they're going to give us a resolution to absolutely everything. I think they will spill over into the specials, as I as I mentioned last time. Yep. Yeah, yeah. no, I agree. I agree. We just wanted to just wanted to mention that because yeah, uh, that is point. something that's out there. Yeah, my my prediction is that the Bell and Vendor storyline is going to continue. Uh, we'll have something with Dan that will continue, and probably mm-hmm. we're going to have a Yaz thread. And a resolution mm-hmm. of her companionship that will go to right. the oh, last yeah. special, and that might be that might be the the final one, the regeneration special. Yeah, yeah they've actually announced when the so the, there's going to be a um, at least according to what I saw, there's going to be a New Year's Day special. Yep, mm-hmm. there's going to be an Easter special, mm-hmm. and then the third one will be for the hundredth anniversary of the BBC, and it's in that one the Doctor will regenerate. Right. Okay. And that's probably, they said late 2022 for that one. Yeah. So. Yep. All right. Uh, so anything left to say about uh, the village of the angels? Um, just um, one thing. I, I get a kick out of the, the phrase to have a nose instead of, you know, to check something out or to, oh, yeah. you know, they, let's, let's go have a nose. I, I, I like that phrase. I'm going to have to try to work that into conversation someday. <laughs> and then kind of a, from the teaser for next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kate Stewart returns. Yes, yes. Unit is back. Unit, Unit is, back. is back in in the person of Kate Stewart. So that'll be interesting. And we'll see the uh, Grand Serpent with the TARDIS. So that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Right, right. There's a oh, few is, nice Easter eggs. Yeah. Is that who that it was? Okay, I didn't recognize yep. him. Also, we have in the next time we've got an Ood, and the Ood appears to be standing in the same room as we saw Awshock in. So mm-hmm. we, we're likely to get more on Awshock next week. Oh. And of course they did. They, there was, a, I think... Somebody said something about being odd, and of course they show the ood next. So of course they had to put that connection in the teaser. <laughs> yes, uh, very good, um, Jimmy. Did you have anything left to say? Yeah, I had uh, just a couple, three little items. Uh, the first one, I liked some of the dialogue in this episode. Um, there's a moment, I mean, just some of it's silly, but I like it anyway. Like there's a moment where the after something dramatic has happened, the doctor says, "The only problem is this." And the only other problem is this. And the other only problem is this. And the third only problem is this. Yep. And, and I, I like that. I may use that at some point. Um, one that I've used uh, before and I use periodically is is the gripping hand, um, mm-hmm. which is from the uh, the mode in God's eye. Uh, novel Great. by Larry Niven and Jerry Parnell, because in the Moat in God's Eye, you have these aliens who live at a place called the Moat, and they they're called Moties, and Moties are asymmetric. Mm-hmm. 
So they have they don't have a bi, a, a, a symmetric uh, body form like we do. They have like two arms, two little arms on one side of their body and one really big arm on the other side. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. for us, where we'll say, well, on the one hand and on the other hand, they've got three. So they'll say yeah. on the one hand, on the other hand, and then on the gripping hand, <laughs> which is the, the big one. Yeah. And since the gripping hand is the strongest... It's always the third and decisive consideration. So, well, mm-hmm. you might consider this and you might consider this on the one hand, on the other hand, but on the gripping hand, this yep. is the ultimate answer. Nice. Um, also, I liked uh, there is a mo- just more little bits of angel lore. I really liked how Alderton and or Chibnall thought about angel lore in this. They clearly did not just write another Weeping Angel episode without putting thought into it. They really thought about what can we do? How can we expand yes. or modify this lore? Things like that. And so when they're escaping through the assignation tunnel, the doctor and the, the the angels start causing the tunnel to shake, which dislodges dirt from the roof that falls down. And they say, why are we doing this? And the doctor says, they're trying to get you to blink or sneeze. You can't open your, you can't keep your mm-hmm. eyes open if you sneeze. Mm-hmm. And I like that. That's true. Yeah. We do have an automatic shut your eyes part of the sneeze reflex which is terrifying when you're driving and you sneeze exactly (laughs) and and so um so i very much like that that showed thought being put into it also there is an even greater moment earlier on where the doctor and uh, claire and professor jericho are trying to deal with an angel and the doctor has set a trap for the angel, but I'm sorry. No, this is with, uh, this is actually with Dan and Yaz. This is in the Mm -hmm. TARDIS where the doctor is doing the vague techno babble way to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. But part of it is in order for them to, in order for this to work, the angel has to be able to move. So for once, instead of don't blink, we're all going to blink together. (laughs) And that will allow the trap to have its effect and take the angel away. And so I really liked for once, blink. <laughs> yes, <Yep>. yes. <laughs> that, that turns it on its head. That was good. That was good. All right. So that is it for the Village of the Angels. I did promise some listener feedback from before. And so I wanted to uh, share that with you now. Our first feedback comes from uh, SQPN's own Father Andrew Kinstetter. Father Andrew hosts The Secrets of Star Wars, uh, but he's also a Doctor Who fan. And he's responding to our discussion of uh, Weeping Angels in the Oculus VR headset, the game in there. Mm. He says, I just have to say that even though the Oculus doesn't measure if I blinked or not, we talked about if it did. The Weeping Angel sequence is absolutely terrifying. I'm not sure I could have handled it if I couldn't blink. Regardless, the VR experience is worth going through that that sequence at least once. It reinvigorates how scary the Weeping Angels truly are, especially after some of the episodes that sort of take away that fear. Statue of Liberty as an angel, for example. Mm. Yes, and... Hopefully this episode restores some of the terrifyingness of the Weeping Angels. Yeah, it certainly expands some possibilities and clarifies some things that otherwise are annoying, like the anything. It's not any image of an angel becomes an angel. It it requires effort for them to do that. Right. Um, And ultimately, though, our future VR headsets need to be able to determine if we blink just so oh, just geez. just so we can have the true don't blink experience with weeping angels oh man 
So yeah. when we're all jacked into the matrix, we'll be able to do it. <laughs> yes. Uh, our second feedback comes from Tammy LML on YouTube, who writes, I've got to say, this may be the best season since 2005, and I wish they'd gone in this direction a long time ago. I don't know where we're going, but I'm just so happy to be along for the ride. Also, I may have to dress up my dog as Carvanista next Halloween. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of Carvanista dog Halloween costumes, we, I hope. We want pictures if you do it. Yes, we, we definitely want pictures. Want pictures. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for another great show, guys. Every Sunday, as soon as Doctor Who ends, I'm thinking, can't wait to hear what the SQPN crew have to say. Oh, well, glad you're enjoying uh, this season of Doctor Who and glad you're enjoying our show. I, I like this season overall. I think it's a nice change of direction. Yes. It's certainly way better mm. than the previous Chibnall seasons. Yeah. I don't know that I'd say it's the best since 2005, but de gustibus non est disputandum. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's nice that they went back to a serial format. You know, this for, for those of us who grew up with with Classic Who, watch Classic Who yeah. you know, way back when. This just feels so good to have this serial format where you have the cliffhangers, you have the what's going to happen next. It's yeah. really, in a way, the best of both worlds because we have modern production values and sensibilities with mm-hmm. with old-style serial fiction. Which yep. is also new again. Like, serialized you know, stories in a short season like this is has become the, a big thing. Everybody does it now. Uh, so... It's- Battlestar Galactica, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of going back to its roots and it being modern at the same time. So, uh, yeah, it is great. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm very pleased with this season. As you can tell with the length of our discussions of this season, mm-hmm. we are enjoying this season a lot more than, than we have uh, recently. So I, I think that says it all. Excellent. Well, thank you both for your feedback. Uh, we, As we wrap up, we want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Paul B., Stephen B., Lawrence S., Nicholas D., and Richard M. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. What did you think of Village of the Angels? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send an email to Who at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing Chapter 5, Survivors of the Flux. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the Secrets of Doctor Who. Thanks, Tom. Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Thank you, Tom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, the Division is everything and everyone. Every species, every world, every moment. They are everywhere. <laughs> <laughs>